uh, you want to hear my my new testing song? Yes, please. I moved on from the testosterone song. Now the song is testing, 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 testing. That is what I'm gonna do. Testing, 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 testing. I have not thought this through. I like it. Mm-hmm. How you doing, Ed? I'm doing well. Doing well. All right. Uh, Jill's out of town. She's down at the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival <laughs> in San Francisco, which is not a bluegrass festival. What is it? <coughs> it's a. Also, what was that sound? That was a cough. Really? It sounded this like one? a glitch. Like it. Like. <coughs> like your operating system was updating, not on your computer, on your on your body. Yeah. Yeah, it needs updating. <laughs> so I was proud. I was able to get uh, the the kid and the dog and myself organized. Yeah, in time. That extra hour makes a difference over here. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Did starting did, at eight o'clock my time instead of seven? Yeah. Well, I, so. I don't. I don't mind that one bit. Eleven is fine for me because it gave me a little time to do some morning uh, writing. I got about half of my daily daily quota done so you wrote half a novel this morning yeah i wrote half, I wrote half a novel it, fe- it feels that way sometimes i'm really really zooming on this thing i'm working on um wh- so is what so where is oscar with jill or is he looming around the apartment are we gonna have some visits from him up oh, you're you're you have to unmute yourself you're talking but i can't hear that's there. often the case yeah. uh he's watching the new version of the magic school bus oh there's a new one yep. In the other room, there's a new one with a younger, prettier teacher. Oh. As if Miss Frizzle was not already uh, just devastatingly hot. It's Miss Frizzle's younger sister. Oh, so so it's not even Miss Frizzle. It's a it's a different character. Yeah, they put they put Frizzle out to pasture, and no, they Miss Frizz, a- no, Miss no. I'll tell you what happened to Miss Frizzle. She uh, <laughs> she finished her PhD, and oh, she's no, adventuring really? the world in a. Uh, magic school bus ish uh, motorcycle <laughs> collecting specimens. Is you're not making April this up? 19th. This is really what has happened. This is true. Yeah, and she has a golden lion tamarind with her, which I think is new. Mm-hmm. While the old lizard is still there in the classroom, it's like the old Blues Clues uh, dodge. They, for whatever reason, they have to generate a, a functionally identical, never-before-mentioned relative to yeah. take over the franchise. Except that since since um, Magic School Bus is a cartoon, isn't it? Or is it? It's a cartoon. They could do it the exact same way they for do- a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sesame Street also has brought in a uh, nephew. Like, Gordon's nephew. Okay. Is now a uh, human, so as far as we know, actor. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell these Sesame. days. And Sesame Street's on HBO. Everything's upside down, John. Yeah. It seems uh so- somehow not quite right that you've got to pay $15 a month to watch Sesame Street. But you 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 don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to watch uh, you it. You have to pay that to watch the newest Sesame Street. Oh, okay. And then after a period of months, they go to PBS. That's the arrangement. No, which, which is not, which is not disgusting. No, no, it's not like Sesame Street is typically yeah. ripped from the day's headlines. Yeah, if you need an up-to-date <laughs> Sesame Street, 
You can get an HBO subscription. If you wanna if you wanna track the latest changes to the alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you if you wanna be yeah, an early adopter of the return of the thorn to the English alphabet. <laughs> Today is brought to you by Thorn. Oh man. I don't remember which thorn. The thorn is is that the it's sort of like a D, but it's there's a it's crossed at the stem like a T, and maybe there's two crosses. I don't I don't even know. Let me look it up. I think it's a TH sound. Thorn. Or maybe it's the zh sound. Or that mm. Uh yeah, it's a thorn is a letter in the um interestingly if you if it uses the uh if the thorn itself is used to uh, spell out the initial consonant sound, it to the to the English speaking eye, it looks like it says porn. Thorn is a letter in Old English, Gothic, Old Norse, and Modern Icelandic, and uh, it looks like it's a, a voiceless dental fricative mm-hmm. or voice counterpart of it. However, in modern Icelandic, it is pronounced as a laminal, voiceless, alveolar, non-sibilant fricative, similar Lerm. to th, as in the English so, word okay. thick, as in Alan thick, thick, as in my girl is thick. Thick in the night. Yeah. Have you seen that I usage? So. Thick, thick with two C's. What does that mean? I think it's referring to a curvy person. Particular. Oh, the where the C's are. Yeah, usually vis- a visual ontomatopoeia. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Actually. Yeah. I guess so. I don't know if you pronounce all the T's in ontomatopoeia like I just did. Oh, uh, you should. There, there, ontomatopoeia. You should though. At our age, you should. We should be able. Pizza. Come to <laughs> ontomatopizzeria. <laughs> <laughs> the pizzas they taste just like they sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see the whole menu. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Yunch. <laughs> Yunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best one. It's the top of the line. Onto <laughs> 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 uh-huh. the pizzeria. Yeah. Yeah. It's an Anianta. Anianta? Is that a town? In it, would be, it would be an Anianta, yeah. Anianta Pizzeria. There's a lot of towns that are like that in upstate New York. Uh, Anianta is one of them. Um, there's also Owego. And, like, there's an Otasco Lake. Yeah. Um, there's one that's like Onianta, but I can't remember the name of it. It's very similar, and I get them all confused, and I don't know which one is in which. Which they're all an hour away from Ithaca, in different directions. Just we're surrounded by mm-hmm. these towns, and so I, when I uh, when I made my you know my fake my fake Central New York in my fiction, I, I it was actually a struggle to come up with another one that didn't already exist, <laughs> but I came up with Anteo, O N T O, yeah. yeah. Which I mean, they're probably all bastardizations of of native words um, that have been ang- right. anglicized out of out of uh, sense. Very few of them probably bear any actual relation to any Indian word. Probably, 
Probably. Or they or they refer to you know uh, some group or something that some group said a thousand miles away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably <laughs> where the cartographer lived. It's part of the yeah. grand the grand white tradition of whimsically obscuring the past. Oh, we have such whimsy. Such whimsy. <laughs> such whimsy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you got uh, it this week, I felt that I felt a, a great a rush of re- relief across the nation when Tom Petty died. Relief, because that that meant that a lot of people didn't have to think about the Las Vegas shooting anymore. <laughs> yeah, We're, we've moved on from that. <laughs> I thought the weird thing about Tom Petty's death um, was it, that it was reported and then it was retracted. Right, and then it was re-reported, and for a while he was um, he was like a he was like a um, Schrodinger's heartbreaker. Yeah, he was he was in a state of of being he was alive and dead at the same at the same time. As the situation that we are all in all the time. Man, that's that's deep, man. There was, but in that period, um, I did I I saw on, you know that. The Twitter, um, a lot of people sort of laughing and mocking at the people who had been mourning Tom Petty. It's like, ha ha ha, he's not even dead, you liberals. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, yeah. of course, you know, as happens, he went to the hospital, and you don't die automatically. No, to the frust- to the frustration of of people who want everything dead. The frustration of adult children. He. Uh, um, the body took a little while to actually die. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I um, I was really sad about that. I'm sure everybody was. But the thing about Tom Petty is his songs are so brilliant, but you forget because they're so ambient. They're just around. Mm-hmm. Tom Petty songs are just always around, and yeah. uh, you don't. It's possible to enjoy them without really thinking about them. And I think his death is has created an opportunity for those of us who really like his songs to think about the fact that they're, they're not just around. They're, they're great songs and there are lots of them. There are great lots songs, of great Tom Petty songs. There's 30, if I made a list of 30 great Tom Petty songs, we would be quibbling about the 10 or 20 that I left out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was a great, oh, hell, I can't remember who it was, but I'm going to look it up now. There's a great essay on uh, American girl. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out the other day. I, I'll uh, put it put it in the notes. Here it was. It was in the Post, the Washington Post. The abstract beauty of Tom Petty's American Girl by Jeff Edgers, a writer I, um, uh, I don't I hadn't heard of. But um, it's probably it's probably Dave Eggers. <laughs> it's everyone is these days. He's <laughs> trying to trying to come up with a fake name. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll put it in the notes. Uh, it's a, it's a good piece. Um, and, uh, we're thinking about that song, how much that song is in the American grain. It's the song that if I'm remembering right, the, the would be victim in silence of the lambs, Buffalo um, Bill is. Buffalo Bill's cap captive. Yeah. Um, right before she's captured, she's driving a car singing along to American girl. Yeah. And that whole the whole drama of her near tapping out the rhythm on on the uh, um, on the uh, the wheel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and of course, her like her uh, her escape and with the 
dog and the basket and it's like there there's something uh something beautifully iconic about all of that but american girl is the perfect song for her to be to be singing in that scene mm-hmm. which i think was not a before i mean i think that's what solidified it in people's memory i think it wasn't a big hit oh really i mean if you like i mean it's a if you like the lp you would know it but mm-hmm. but uh it was not a single when uh, when the Starry Mountain Band used to cover, we covered the waiting, and uh, we would. It was so it's fun, so much fun to sing that song because I feel like his the vocal in that song is the the Tom Pettyest of Tom Petty vocals. He's it's almost self self parody when he gets to the <laughs> the second verse and sings. Well, yeah, I guess it's just a couple women around. Never get me down. You you can tell he's having a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, I thought he always sounded like a whimsical accountant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I'll miss him. He I, I was uh, he was too young, um, and I'm very sad never to have seen seen him live. Um, but just a, I never saw him live. Just a, uh, my favorite song was uh, "Listen to Her Heart." Oh yeah, that's a great one. Especially as uh, I listen to Roy Moore because um, the, the <laughs> band that I... Uh, it's quite a segue there. Listen to Roy Moore? <laughs> yeah, it makes me, think, makes me listen to Judge Roy Moore, <laughs> a new senator from Alabama. <laughs> He's not in there yet. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so the band that I hung out with a lot in college, uh, Truck Stop Love, mm-hmm. contributed... Uh, 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 Listen to her heart to a cover of Tom Petty songs back in 1994. Yeah. Uh, which is very good. I just wrote the liner notes to a upcoming Truck Stop Love release of really? unreleased recordings. Uh, from was 1991 this, to 1994. I, I would definitely like to hear that. I like that band a lot. Um, and I've heard of it's them because of good. you, of course. But um, yeah. what is this your first foray into uh, liner notage? It is, and I was surprised to be able to work in that genre because really? I thought that it was. It's like uh, you'd be surprised if you got to write on the back of an iguanodon, you know? <laughs> sure, or sure. feast upon roasted. <laughs> wait, wait, you, you're you. <laughs> this like it was an extinct. <laughs> wait, wait, extinct the Skype. Form. Wait, wait, back up, back up, back up. The Skype. I'm imagining, is... yeah. The, we resuscitate the passenger pigeon back into existence, and we get to eat one. Okay, you have to. Could you, could you go back? You were. I lost you. Yeah. Oh bummer. Are you there? I'm here. Are you there? What happened? I don't I'm know. here. Okay. Can you hear me? Everything seems fine now. I was talking too fast. Yeah. No, you weren't. You were talking too fast for the uh, for the digital bits to catch up with you. Yeah. Uh no um you were just people fine. People often accuse me of talking too too fast and too loud. That's that's people's complaints about no, me. No, no, Ed. Ed, you talk too articulately and too quickly, <laughs> and at a volume that is just overwhelming. Be humble, dumb it down. Come on, man. Uh no, you had said uh you'd be surprised to find yourself riding on an iguanodon, and then I would I would be as another example. Uh, you said. Or feasting upon, and then yeah. the then the then the then you then you experience bit rot. So what? Oh, well, like roast roast passenger pigeon, or a 
Yeah. Uh, Dodo Cocovon, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, great Auk under glass. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, so I went back and, and looked through my LPs and then LinerNotes.com, which has a lot of liner notes. Yeah. At uh, uh, at the genre, and so it's a ridiculous genre. Uh, it's, it's either a lot of it is bloviation, where yeah. the person is speaking way out of uh, proportion to the actual album or artist. Sure, the best ones are irrelevant. But in order for <clears throat> are like a really good, mostly irrelevant liner notes uh, to 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 be interesting, it would have to be because you were uh, you were buying ten albums a week. Mm-hmm. You know. You're looking for some deviation from the norm. So sure. I just wrote a, like a little thousand words or something, did you, summing did up you, what, it, what it was like to hear the band live in 1993. Did you did you um, adopt a, a bloviating style in the tradition of the of the overwritten liner notes of the past, or did you did you did you play it straight? I tried to play it straight. I, I you know make some claims. Mm-hmm. Sure. And claims are by nature debatable. That they're the uh, greatest rock band ever to come out of Kansas. Okay, which is both. Um, I mean, debatable because there are a lot of great rock bands out of Kansas. Is by the way, is Kansas one of them? Is the band Kansas from Kansas? No. Oh, they're from Kansas, but but uh, they're not one of the good. They're not one of the good bands. They're not one of the good bands <laughs> coming out of Kansas. No, go on. For my money, what is what are some of the what are some of the best? I mean, we now know that Truck Stop Love is the best, but. Who are the Truck Stop Love? Well, there's the Micronauts, mm-hmm. the Micronauts, the Embarrassment from mm-hmm. Wichita, with their classic song "Sex Drive," mm-hmm. as in "I'm going on a sex drive." <laughs> <laughs> That's most of the lyrics. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So the, the Embarrassment, the Micronauts, um, which predate the '90s. Um, Zoom, Chicago's uh, Mark Henning, you the gave National me, Trust. You gave me a mixtape uh, with uh, Zoom on one side and Skunk on the other. I've still got it. Oh, it's a good tape. And Skunk's one tape. of the bands. Skunk's one of the bands that. Um, which of those bands became most of Chavez? Skunk. Skunk did. Yeah. Skunk. Yeah. Matt Sweeney. That Skunk record is real good. Incredible album. We've talk, you are we've probably one of the you're probably one of the thirty people who ever heard. It. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thanks to you. Hopefully, more people. I mean, with, with Sweeney's got that new thing, uh, that guitar. Oh, guitar moves. Guitar move. Guitar so moves is great. My, yeah. I, I've probably we've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, yeah. but I'm going to relink to it. That um, the guitar moves with Dean Ween is so great and so hilarious. And he he talks about how we we definitely talked about this how how you either yeah. hold the guitar above your dick or below your dick <laughs> but not on top of your dick, right? Always worth another listen. Um, but the Scott they're they're all from Minneapolis, I right? Think. Um, yeah, they're a lot of good a lot of good bands, uh, but also it's a uh, uh, part of making a claim is that it needs to be significant, and I don't know how significant it is. What the greatest bands are out of Kansas <laughs> or aren't to the larger, the, the larger issues of 
of rock and roll like greatness. But you know, when you're when to me, all, it's an important question. When your entire universe is the back cover of an LP, um, the the que- questions of uh, questions of context and um, um, and uh, you know proportion just fall away, and all that matters is the world of the of the the record you're listening to. So you know right. that I yeah. I, f- I feel like it's a, the the tone of uh, um, that tone that tone of uh, well the blo- the bloviation is appropriate. Is what yeah, I'm saying. it's like a guidebook to this planet that you're on. Yeah, you've landed on this planet. And here, some notes yeah. might help you survive its thicker atmosphere. Yeah, stick with two C's. <laughs> atmosphere <laughs> with uh, four M's. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, you might recall when we last spoke a couple of weeks ago, I was gearing up to uh, fast for Yum Kipper. Um, with my girlfriend Stephanie, you're fasting for Yom Kippur. I, 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 I have done it. I did it. Yeah, I'm here from. I'm here to report from the other side what it's like to ingest no food or water for 24 hours. <laughs> Something that worldwide people experience involuntarily every single day in droves. I am well aware, yeah. um, and I'm here to tell you it was not so bad. Yeah. Um, Did it add to your uh, reflect your uh, ability to be reflective? Well, the thing that the thing that accomplished that was the sort of traditional Orthodox Shabbosy habits um, traditions, such as not uh, using, not letting a fire, which in modern terms translates to not using anything electrical, not driving a car, and so on. Um, which means you can't use the internet, you can't use the phone. So you're essentially cutting yourself off, presumably for contemplation. Um, mm-hmm. And that part I really liked um, because I'm, as I'm sure you know, as most of us are, compulsive about checking. Increasingly addictive. Yeah, too. checking social media yeah. and reading articles online. There's always new, not that, not that uh, the content I'm ingesting all day is necessarily frivolous or bad. There's just so fucking much of it. And there's always yeah. something new and you can always look for it when you've reached a difficult point in the novel you're trying to read or write. Um, it's much easier to go mm-hmm. read uh, an analysis of a Tom Petty song that you know has just popped up online. So um, not being able to do that was, uh, was uh, delightful. And I not, read, not lighting a fire includes not, not hearing any hot takes. No, definitely. Even even cold takes are frowned upon. No internet was great. Um, the fasting was fine. The last couple of hours was very irritating. Um, I really wanted a glass of water, but it was not. We just we just read all day. There's nothing really, nothing else you can do. Read or take a walk. Um, so at the end of it, the first thing I did was I drank a a glass of water and uh, we had a sort of half eaten a rotisserie chicken in the fridge and just sort of stood at the counter shoving, shoving pieces of chicken into our mouths. <laughs> but I want to tell you about this. Uh, uh, we uh, had a, we had a kind of, uh, it was also uh, Stephanie's birthday. So we, oh. we went out to dinner. We're going to go out to this uh, Thai place 
which I'm not even going to talk about the Thai place. The food was fine. We couldn't get a yeah. table. We ended up getting takeout. But um, we wanted some kind of birthday-ish food uh, and figured we could get a cake um, somewhere downtown while we were waiting for the, for the takeout to be done. And we went to this place in New Haven called the Elm City Market, um, mm-hmm. which is like a fancy supermarket. And it presents itself as like a, um, a an expression of new urbanism. It's it's plonked right into a part of town that um, it's kind of a businessy part of town. Uh, the housing that's near there is not really great. Um, there's a lot of sort of down and out folks uh, on the street, um, and it's it's part of it's part of urban New Haven um, as opposed to the as opposed to the sort of Yaley part of New Haven, right? Mm-hmm. So this market, presumably, you know, it's purporting to to be serving serving the urban population of of New Haven, um, which is you know poor and working class in large part. And instead, it's basically just for Yale students. Like, there's nothing under ten dollars <clears throat> there. And here's yeah. the crazy thing is, despite not being adjacent to the campus. No, it's, it's not. Like a, no, you got. It's like yeah, it's like a, a good. Over. Yeah, and I think I I I can't help but think that it's an effort to try to get developers to renovate, you know, buildings into more student housing because, like, I I wouldn't even buy stuff there. It was ridiculous. The the uh, we figured there'd be some cake at the bakery. There was not. Uh, there were some cupcakes. The cupcakes were like $6 a piece and they were in, you know, they'd, they'd been made God knows when they were in these plastic clamshells. So we decided to get some uh, brownies. Couldn't find anything with gluten in it. Everything was gluten free. Not a, not a drop of gluten, not, (laughs) but they have some gluten that you could pour on top of it, like uh, out of a shaker. (laughs) We ended up finding some brownies and the young man at the, at the um, the young man at the counter or the you know the checkout aisle told us they were the very best brownies and they were quite good. But I gotta say, how many how many people with celiac disease are there in a in one Connecticut town? I ask you. I don't know. It depends if you go to Celiac, Connecticut, <laughs> where they gather kind of like a spiritualist colony. Yeah. Too. <laughs> like uh like Chautauqua. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. Celiac Chautauqua. Celiac is Connecticut's Chautauqua is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, band leader is uh, uh unable to process gluten. Yeah. Um which makes it hard to play in a band that, that plays mostly in beer bars. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Especially uh, bluegrass, so it's that or it's some um, kind of wholesome thing where they're feeding you, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're, you know, pushing wholesome baked goods at you, hoping that you'll take that in, in lieu of actual payment. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. I see where this is going. <laughs> How about this payment or this fried chicken? Well, give me some money. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what you got on your phone there? I was just taking a picture of you to put up on the, the Instagram. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Look we at you. Are, um, Look at you snapping the, pictures of your been, friends for the anti New Haven, uh, a wave of anti New Haven protests here in Portland. Have there been? There's a some listing of the hundred best pizza joints in the country. Oh, yeah. Portland out of a hundred, Portland gets two. Yeah. Um. One of them is a Pizza Shoals, which ranks as number eighteen, which is our New Haven style pizzeria. Yeah, yeah, you've talked about it before. Everyone says the best pizza in Portland. In Portland, yeah. The other one was is a very good pizza. Oh, it's Ken's Artisanal Pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a very good pizza. So wait a minute, where is this an article somewhere that listed them? Yeah. Uh, where was it discussed? I didn't see the actual article listing, only the the local Portland. Um, like, why... <clears throat> oh, the 101 best pizzas in America from the Daily Meal? Yeah, why are 20 of them in New Haven? That was our ba- that was our biggest bewilderment. Like, why We have great pizza here in Portland. We've got two. Um, where is New Haven again, and why does it have the second most... Uh, why does it populate this list just behind New York, ahead of even Chicago? Uh, I can't answer that, but my guess is that Frank Pepe's is just legitimately spectacular. And, um, other competitors to Frank Pepe's opened up and the creation of great pizza became a kind of competition in New Haven that goes on to this day. And so it's just a a local pride thing and people are uh, putting a lot of ambition into their pizza, their pizza making. That's my guess. Or it could be that <laughs> other places pizza is just as good or better, but because New Haven has this reputation, uh, people convince themselves that it's better than other places. I can tell you it's very good pizza in New Haven, but um, but uh, I'm sure there's good pizza elsewhere, too. But Portland, Portland thinks called. it deserves more on this list, is what you're saying. Portland thinks it deserves more because half of the people recently moved here from other places, yeah. and they want their their decision to move here to be confirmed in <laughs> national rankings. I bet a lot of houses went on the market when when this article came out. Yeah, a lot yeah. of port, a lot of houses charted on Zillow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had a good. Uh, um, We've been eating pretty well. We had a uh, well. We had, we had bad. We had mediocre Italian. Yeah, a couple nights ago. They have this. So Oscar's in kindergarten, which is fantastic. Yeah. And one of the fundraisers for the school is you can drop off your kid for um, movie night, and they watch some movie in the oh. cafeteria with parent volunteers, and the parents can go to well, do whatever they want. But then one of the local restaurants, because it's in an area with a lot of restaurants. Then contributes ten or twenty percent of its profits for the night to that school. That's great. To the school, it's pretty great. Except for so the we food, to, is what we, you're saying. Hmm? Except for the food. So we went to the participating uh, restaurant. Okay. Uh, which uh, which was which was fine. I won't say its name. So okay. It, um, but it was fine. It's gorgeous room. Yeah. Excellent service. Everything was nice. And then kind of, you know, limpid <laughs> pappardelle and, you know, uh, uh, like overcooked pork, you know. 
but uh, but it's nice. It's nice to go to a restaurant at night with with my you know with my wife. That's, sure, that's very unusual unusual activity for us. Yeah. So we look forward to doing to going to going out on brief dates every six or eight weeks. <laughs> well, yeah. the, this it's this is the beginning of the beginning of a uh, a period of gra- gradually increasing ease with and comfort about the 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 place of your child in your logistical life. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, there was the it was the case for me and. Uh, me and my kid's mother, yeah. and uh, yeah. just just uh, uh, things things got really things got much easier once, right. once the, everyone was in school. People say that, but I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Went to uh, went to uh, uh, Pickles Stadium yesterday. Home Pardon of the pickles, me? home of the pickles, the Lentz pickles, the pickles from Lentz. Wait, the Lentz, you know the better. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Back up. The is this a sports team? Sports team, the Pickles, the okay. mighty Portland Pickles, the Lentz Port- Stadium, Walker Stadium in Lentz Park. L-E-N-T-Z? L-E-N-T-S, Lentz. Oh, there it is. Official website of Portland Pickles Baseball. The Portland Pickles Baseball Team, not affiliated with baseball. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they're playing baseball. They're playing baseball. It's a small state. They're not. They're not like in the. Um, they're not an officially a minor league team. Oh, really? Not, there's not a double A, triple A. They're not connected with any. <laughs> so they're just f- some fellas playing ball. Some fellas playing ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, they weren't playing a game. There was a, a a like a kids clinic, like a big clinic that was actually sponsored by Major League Baseball. So there was a lot of freebies. Yeah. And some players out there uh, leading kids in various agility trials and <laughs> running the bases, hitting the ball. I uh, had a conversation with another father who was about my age, and we couldn't remember what you call the the plate that's at the front that you start with. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one of us could quite recall the name of it. Uh-huh. I, do you we want to? Do you figure it out? Because I, ha- I have the answer. We settled in on closest in base. That <laughs> <laughs> it was called home plate. Home plate is correct. Right. I, I just want to. Okay, I have a couple of things. But it's not called home base. That's what was throwing us. It's not no, home base. The bases are little little uh, squares of upholstery. You don't run from home home place. No home plate. To first home, you don't run from home base to first plate. No, <laughs> no, you do not. <laughs> you do not. Um, the yeah, you the the bases, the three bases, first, second, and third base are are upholstered squares. They're they're little. They're like um, they're I don't know the little cushions, little cushions. Right. Whereas home plate is. Um, Made of uh, some kind of I don't know some kind of mysterious alloy I suppose. So if you if you steal home, which happens infrequently, mm-hmm. does that count as a stolen base, or is I, it I a think, different category for stolen plates? Yeah, I would say okay. Let me revise. He's a great player. He had he had thirty stolen bases and two stolen plates mm-hmm. in his rookie year. I don't um, think that's a thing you can say. 
Uh, I think that stealing home does count as a stolen base, so I will revise my classification by saying they're all the that bases is the overarching category, but that home plate is a special subcategory of base that has a base in it. Yeah, the idea of a base, a base in it is a base in the plate. Uh, there's a base in the plate. It defies the laws of physics. You could fit a plate into a base, but not a base into a plate. But um, mm. but the, but current current thinking has it that in certain circumstances a base can be fitted into a plate. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking a lot about physics today for reasons I'll tell you shortly. But um, um, I want to point something out about the Portland Pickles website. Um, so, uh, Stephanie's folks live, um, in Rockland County, New York, and there is a minor league baseball team, uh, called the Rockland Boulders. And as well as a Ginsburg shout out in Howell, uh, in Rockland County, I'm with you in Rockland. I'm with you in Rockland as a anaphora in a, a section of Howell. They must be using, uh, not Ginsburg, the, um, the the these baseball teams. They must be using the same template for their websites because both of them are the 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 boulders especially. I'm going. I'll put this in the notes and I'm going to send it to you as well. It's the most confusing, complicated website, perhaps that I've ever seen. Um, I forgive our listeners if we've already talked about this on the podcast. I don't think we have. Hey, Norm. Did you see what I'm saying? Look at that thing. Oh yeah, it's the same, right? It's how how can it, how like if you count? I'm not going to bother. So you go on the Rockland Boulder site. There's a there's a menu at the top, and each menu, when you hover over it with the cursor, a drop down menu appears, and each thing on the drop down menu has between say five and twelve things. There's about eighty options, eighty different pages on this website, and all of them are designed in a way that makes it impossible to to find any information. It's just yeah. a c- utter profusion of of insanity. Uh, so what is it about minor league baseball or would be minor league baseball that demands this kind of web design? I don't expect you to have an answer to that. The other thing I wanted I, to I say, think it's, uh, because they know that it's, it's going to be a little used. Uh huh. So, uh, sure. It's not going to be heavily trafficked. Yeah. <laughs> so it may, it might as well be a, a playground of terrible web design. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, my theory about the Portland pickles, by the way, is that they exist exclusively to sell, um, whimsical merch. Yeah. Whim- whimsy is today's theme, it would appear. Yeah. It's a whimsical uh, mascot. This uh, this pick, pickle chip snapback the pic- hat. The pickle, was, the pickle was there. It, the pick- you, you know the pickle was there. Yeah, of course you got to have a pickle. You got to have a pickle running around. around. Yeah. Let me guess. The pickle's personality was uh, so- somber. You know, kind of lacrimose, right? Yeah, it was a weeping pickle. It was. It was a, it is cry. It carries. It's. It's a. It's a pickle in a baseball uniform, and each hand 
he has a bucket, and each each bucket is collecting the tears from one of his <laughs> oversized cartoonish eyes. Yeah. But there's like a pump that runs up from the bucket under under his sleeve so that it's recirculating, so that uh, no water is wasted in the yeah. production of his tears. Also, some of the tears are real. <laughs> See, now that's that's a mascot. Yeah. Right there. It's a fountain. And then there, yeah. there's like a special... fountaining pickle mascot. There could be a um, depression awareness day or night at the park where various mm. pharmaceutical companies and um, uh, psychologist associations sponsor it. And you can get uh, some free therapy or antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, it's, it's a um, sort of celebration of, of sadness yeah. and support of those who, who suffer it. Yes. Okay. I'm I'm down. There's a great poem about Lentz. The Lentz district. By which whom? is not um not the uh center of Portland. Yeah. Rather on the margins. Uh-huh. Let's see here. Oh, by Matthew by Mas- Dickman. By, by Matthew Dickman. A uh, former guest on the Lunchbox podcast when we had guests. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and did live performances at Bumbershoots. Portland poet of note as well. Yes. And pal. And Portland pal. Uh, resident again. He went and tried to live in Berlin for a little while, but that didn't take. So he's back. I, uh, the reason I know that is uh, that when I was in Portland uh, this summer, we bumped into him on the street. Buying fidget spinners. Yep. Yep. Just like a normal American. Poets are regular people, Ed. On on Belmont <laughs> Avenue. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you, are you going to? It's your habit when you name check a poem or poet to do a do a little reading. Are you going to read Lentz this, District by Matthew Dickman? This poem is called Lentz District, and it's from Matthew Dickman's first book, All American. Poem. Whenever I return, a fight breaks out in the park. Someone buys a lottery ticket, steals a bottle of vodka, lights a cigarette underneath the overpass. I-5 rips the neighborhood in half the way the Willamette rips the city in half. It sounds like the ocean if I am sitting alone in the backyard looking up at the lilac. This is where the white kids lived and listened to Black Sabbath while they beat the shit out of each other for bragging rights. Running in packs carrying baseball bats that were cut from the same hateful trees our parents had planted before the Asian kids moved in to run the mini-marts and carry knives to school before the Mexicans moved in and mowed everyone's front yard. White kids wanting anything anybody ever took from them in shaved heads and combat boots. On the weekend, our furious mothers applied their lipstick that left red cuts on the ends of their Marlboro Reds, and our fathers quietly did whatever fathers do when trying to beat back the dogs of sorrow from tearing them limb from limb. Lentz, I have been away so long, I imagine that you're a musical some rich kid from New York wrote about credit, debt, and then threw in Kool-Aid to make it funny for everyone. I can see the dance line, the high kicks of the skinheads, twirling metal pipes, stomping in unison while the committed rage of the gypsy jokers square off with the committed rage of the single mothers. The orchestra pit is filled with pit bulls, and a Doberman <laughs> conducts them all into a frenzy. 
in the end, someone gets evicted, someone gets jumped into his new family, and they call themselves Los Brazos, King Cobras, Southside White Pride, Dear Lentz, Dear 82nd Avenue, Dear 92nd and Foster. I am your strange son. You saved me when I needed saving. And I remember your arms wrapped around my bassinet like patrol cars wrapped around the schoolyard. The night Jason went crazy, waving his father's gun above his head, bathed in red and blue flashing lights, all American, broken in half and beautiful. That's a good poem. Good poem. Thank you, Matthew. So the stadium is right by 92nd and Foster. It's right right there. Oh, all right. I don't so, think Lentz is as rough as it was when he was growing up uh, 20 years ago. So this is but part of... Still, it's not, not rough. Uh, this is still part of Portland proper? Or is it its own yes. uh, municipality? Peter Piper picked a part of po- Portland pop Piper. <laughs> Must pay the popper. And Peter Piper plays Portland proper. Um, and it's not far from us. It's it's our our part of town. Not we're not quite inland, but we're not far away. Speaking of sports, I'm um, I've been uh, I've been thinking about physics today because of um, because of the novel I'm writing, mm-hmm. which is about uh, about someone trying to process trauma, which seems to be a a thing I'm interested in lately in a professional capacity. They're trying to process trauma. No, like in a a lab. Well, here's the thing. Maybe the answer is no. I want to say, you don't want to say too much. Don't want to say too much, but, um, uh, everyone in this, uh, everyone in this book is processing their own way. And someone is trying to do it, um, essentially in a lab. Um, I kept my protagonist encounters a guy who's trying to, um, who's trying to illustrate quantum tunneling by repeatedly throwing a tennis ball at a wall. Quantum tunneling is the idea that uh, on the quantum level in, in Tiny Town, uh, a particle, ordinarily when it um, doesn't have enough energy to overcome a barrier, the metaphors that are often used to describe it um, are getting over a hill, the, that doesn't have enough energy to get over the hill or through through a barrier. Um, okay. That is, it's held back. It can't can't make it through. And in the in the the classic physics world that we all live in, uh, if you don't have enough energy to get up a hill, you don't get up the hill. And if you don't have enough energy to penetrate a wall, you don't penetrate a wall. But in the quantum world, uh, an, a particle can borrow uh, energy from surrounding particles to push itself through. Um, it's uh, a non a non zero possibility that that can happen. Um, uh-huh. That and it has to do with Eisen- Heisenberg's uncertainty principle that um, no particle is definitively where it is. There's merely a probability that it's where it is, um, but there is a non zero probability that it's not there. Right. So we don't. We can never really. You know, it's hard. the idea that you can't really know where anything is. Yeah, is, I understand completely. That's. Uh... Uh, right. Easy to understand. Well, it's it's certainly easy to understand <laughs> as a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. You yeah. know, I'm I'm sure I'm misunderstanding it in in terms yeah. of science, but it, you know, right. it's but uh, at, like many writers yeah. before me, I enjoy misunderstanding <laughs> science in order to make a yeah. point about the human heart. And That's I'm right. not talking about the muscle; I'm talking about the concept. Except so, metaphorically. 
So in this in so then in this world that this not quite realistic world that my narrator is in, uh, it's a world of heightened probability and uh, blame and contemplation about cause and effect. And so there is a guy who figures well if a particle can gather energy enough to get through a barrier, so can a bunch of particles at the same time. It's unlikely, but it's possible. So yeah. if he, he figures if he throws a tennis ball at a brick wall enough times, one of these days, it's just going to go right through to the other side. So he has dedicated his life to, in an, in a, an office building, it's part of uh, an abandoned office building um, that was nearly destroyed in a windstorm. He is attempting to uh, throw a tennis ball through a brick wall. And that's what I was writing about this morning. Um, and I'll probably write about it some more this afternoon. But uh, I just thought I would introduce the concept of quantum tunneling to the podcast. I like it. Do you remember the Museum of Jurassic Technology, the Sonnabend uh, Halls, uh, which I think is the section that has the holograph of Iguazu Falls. Yes, yes. And, and uh, the opera singer, um, and an attempt, I think that was partly an, uh, an attempt to get uh, solid matter to pass through. And I think it's the section that they uh, they have like a chunk of wood or a stone and say that uh, uh, a, a bat flew through it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Here is a um, there's a web page for the Delaney Sonnabend Halls. Yeah. Um, but the web page is delightfully obsolete. It's about circuit mm-hmm. circuit 1997 pre pre uh, CSS website. Um. Yeah, I, I I feel like uh writers misunderstanding physics is a is a time honored tradition I'm delighted to participate in as often as possible. Yeah. yeah. What are some other examples? From my work? No, from, from uh the... from work generally. I'm thinking of uh Lethem's the yeah. zero. Yeah. I was, I was gonna say I mean which may fully understand physics. I don't know. Yeah. I mean Well, as she climbed across the table. As she climbed across the table. Zero yeah. is uh, uh, Jess Walter's book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that yeah. book. Mm-hmm. As she climbed across the table. Uh, I think... Um, plus, the Joseph McElroy. Joseph McElroy books. Oh, I haven't read that. Mm. Who is, who's Joseph McElroy? I think, I think I've got the name right. Joseph McElroy plus, you say. Plus, by Joseph McElroy. Here it is. Oh, you haven't read this book? I haven't even heard of this book. It says you here in the science fiction readings. Oh, this has a healthy percentage of one star reviews. That's good news. Boring. Move on. All right. Oh, that's a great book. Oh, but yeah. that might be because traditional sci-fi readers, yeah, um, might find it too literary. Okay, brain orbiting the Earth in a capsule. It's human body gone. It's one-time body. A novel written from the point of view of the brain, told in the third person, close up. Too close for comfort. A brain that has been surgically divorced and lifted out of that body that it had been terminally ill, we will learn. An engineer who had been suffering from radiation and agreed to be used in a solar experiment, though he is perhaps of hardly more than passing concern in a tale whose growing is here and now under light, which is alive in a capsule with green glowing things. This is a, bl- this is a uh, 
this is a this is flap copy that was written by the author, wasn't it? You don't see that very often. I doubt it. That's highly stylized flap copy. It is highly stylized, but I mean, if if it's written by him, it, it betrays nothing about the actual nature of the oh, book, okay. which okay. for which those details are, are are largely irrelevant. Wow, the um, Amazon always has like a you know you have your Kindle edition for a fixed price, and then you'll have your hardcover and paperback, and then you get you get a bunch of uh, little notes underneath. You can get used copies for this much or that much. This book is. Um, this book is expensive and rare. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm glad to know that. I have a copy somewhere. Hardcover from one hundred fifty nine ninety five. <laughs> but you can uh, get an ebook. I never for saw it in hardcover. Bucks. There was there was a, a mass market paperback in the early eighties, I think mid eighties. Yeah, the cheapest used paperback is thirty nine fifty five. That's surprising to me. Yeah, I think you'll find it in your local library. I think that's where I'll look for it, my friend. Mm. Um, I recommend it. I strongly recommend this novel. Well, as you know, I like a book with a weird narrator. Yeah. Speaking of which, Kazuo Ishiguro won the Nobel Prize for Literature. What a good idea. My favorite commentary, by the way. How sensible. How sensible of them. My favorite commentary on the Nobel came the night before from uh, the poet uh, Natalie Shapiro, who tweeted... Uh, my money's on Dylan again. <laughs> That's good. Norm! Uh, yeah, I, I was really glad about that. Has Norm uh, become a parakeet? I don't understand. I was whistling to my dog because he's tearing something up. Oh, yeah. Because he wants some attention, so I'm going to give him some attention. Here. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yes, I think it's very sensible. I love Ishiguro. He, he yeah. may... Among living writers, he may uh, be influencing my work the most. Um, That's I believe I can see that. Mm-hmm. He is he is uh, one of many uh, guitar playing novelists whom I look up That's to. That's right. That's right. That's right. And by all accounts, literally all accounts, is a sweet, kind, gentle soul in real life. I've never met him, but. Um, and I know uh, I, I accept the fact that many uh, writers I adore are probably assholes. We we tend to be crotchety, but um, but Ishiguro most people are assholes. Yeah, yeah there you go. But no, Ishiguro right. uh, seems to be uh, seems to be a sweetie. Yeah. So it's rare. It's rare that a prize is won, uh, and I fe- and I feel nothing but positive emotions about it, and yeah. and, and especially the Nobel, which. Uh, um, is always vexing for for all, but I think this is a great choice for everyone except I, uh, for a p- political writer John Podhoritz, who hates everything on earth. Well, I saw his, his he just had a racist comment, right, and poorly informed racist comment. I I missed that. What did he say? Oh, they called it the Pearl Buck Award. Just assuming, I think he just assumes that the writer is Japanese. Oh, I see. Instead of British, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Why get? Why give him the? Why, why give that that branch of 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 ignorance any any attention? Okay. Um, I I, th- well, I thought it was interesting. A lot of uh, people who are maybe just finding out about him or remembering what they knew about him talking about because uh, there had been this interview or something where he said how how quickly he'd written at least the draft of uh, Remains of the Day. Yeah, you know he'd concentrated and you know pounded it out in sure. a matter of weeks. Um, was it really but, that fast? 
I think so. Yeah, wow. I think he, uh, the, the story is I can't remember the, the, all the details, but like he and his his, his wife or whoever he's living with, you know, said, "Okay, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna work nonstop on this for the next few weeks, and I can't do anything else. You got to take care of everything else for me. <laughs> I got to do it. I'm just gonna do it. Nice. And did it. You know, just did it. Um, but I think he's taken eight or ten years for almost every other novel since then. I think Buried Giant was a, you know, I think a decade of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the, the you know, somebody with that much you know, genius and talent working on something for so long. And then the result being not a doorstop compendium of all thought of those ten years, but something very slight I mean, mm-hmm. as far as actual heft. I mean... I think the experience of it, of reading it, is 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 was. I mean, I, I was one of my favorite books recently, um, but like, there's not much to go on. You know, yeah. like, I can imagine how much has been taken out, and just the the principle of selection and and, and judgment and knowing how to do something. Well, uh, taking the time to do something small is gorgeous. I was, um, I I may have mentioned this in the podcast before. I think I did to you anyway. That um, when I was on the book tour, I was in New York and. Um, a couple of friends, uh, writer friends, Dana Spiata and her partner, Jonathan D., both novelists, came to the reading. We were hanging out afterward talking about writing. And John said, yeah, I have a, I have a new novel finished that's coming out. Because um, I had been complaining about the, the burden of backstory and how, how much explanation of the current situation in a novel is worth writing about. And it depends what your goals are. Sometimes the frame, the framing device is very slight and it's all backstory and that's fine. But in my case, I was kind of struggling with the balance of something I was trying to write. Um, And John said, you know what? The novel I just finished, uh, it was like a little wind up toy. I just started it up and let it go. And it just always moves forward. No flashbacks. Uh, no, no, uh, chronology changes. It just always moving forward and not explaining anything. And, uh, oh boy, did that excite me. Just the idea of just moving forward and not explaining anything. And, you know, I don't know what, I haven't read his novel yet, but, um, my interpretation of it, the way I'm, I've processed this this tip, I guess, is yeah. to not explain the things I desperately want to explain, not explain yeah. the weird shit. Because yeah. one thing I love about Ishiguro is he puts weird shit in his novels. He, he renders it in crystal clear, even overly simplistic prose. And yeah. he does not explain. That's right. Anything. And, um, and his narrators are kind of his first person narrators have created this world for themselves where they pretend that crazy things aren't happening, you know, so as not to have to explain them to themselves. And their unreliable narrations show us the way in which they are. They're in denial about something, um, sometimes about many things. So, I Absolutely. mean, we've talked many Absolutely. times about my, my favorite of his books is Unconsoled. Um, yeah which is dizzy, dizzyingly complex series of associations, metaphors, images, um, mm-hmm. none of which make immediate, quote-unquote, sense. They're not logical. Um, but thematically and metaphorically, over the long, like, 600 pages of its length, um, they take on more and more weight until the book, which at times, if you just dip in for five pages, just seems at times just silly. Um, yeah. And it is a funny book. 
uh, it it achieves its profundity not by um, not by sort of espousing philosophies or by you know uh, by elaborating upon its themes, um, mm-hmm. but by keeping it oblique at all times. Um, it's, it's unconsoled is almost like a silent movie. Ooh, when I mean, you can see it, the pianist is uh, like a Buster Keaton. I mean, so much of it is not only is it silent. I mean, a lot of it is silent um, or uncomprehending, but a lot of it is uh, um, is that is almost in pantomime. Yeah, that's kind of interestingly struggling put. with spaces, struggling with uh, um, yeah, with spaces as much as with people. Well, you know, the boundaries of space are not normal in this book. There are, you know, this, you, you you can, you, you know, there's a scene I think in which he is driven in a car several miles away from this cafe and ends up in a shed where someone is playing the piano. There's a piano he has to practice on. um, And that he ends up, he ends up returning to the cafe through like a little tunnel somewhere. That's right. It turns out that in this other dimension, it was just f- about 40 feet away. Yeah. I mean, this collapsing of space is not the way the physical world works. It's the way memory and association work. Yeah. Um, but he is uh, he's applying that logic to the physical world. I like the idea of a pantomime, too, because he, he, there's an almost Brechtian artificiality to the way people talk in an Ishiguro novel. And I was thinking of it again watching um, – watching uh, Twin Peaks The Return, which we've already talked about, everything is very stilted, right? The acting is deliberately stiff, um, <laughs> except for Cheryl Lee, who is b- brilliant, brilliantly naturalistic as ever. But um, I feel like this like strident artificiality makes you look elsewhere for meaning and emotion. <laughs> um, and that... It allows you to discover those things in unexpected places, which to me as a writer and a reader is extraordinarily exciting. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Okay. It makes it, I can't remember which, 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 I can't remember the difference between hot and cold and McLuhan's. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't McLuhan. know the reference. Oh, and the um, medium is the message, uh, you know, hot, hot media and cold media. Right, uh, some media, hot media. I think like comic books, TV, movies are hot media. They yeah. are delivered to you hot. Maybe like you don't need to warm them up in your imagination. I'm terribly misquoting and misunderstanding. See, uh, cold takes, McLuhan. hot takes versus cold, cold takes. Cold texts are you know require your, you know, they require the agility of of the readers. Mind and senses. Okay, I've got I've got it here on the got it here on the Wikipedia. Um, hot versus cool media. Hot media is that which engages one sense completely. It demands little interaction from the user because it spoon feeds the content. Typically, spoon the content of hot media is restricted to what the source offers at that specific time. Uh, examples of hot media include radio and film because they engage one sense of the user to an extent. Um, blah, blah, blah. Cool media uses low definition. This is this is poorly written media that engages several senses less completely. Like Sebado. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sebado is cool media. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's lame media. <laughs> it's it's just me- like media that sucks. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> anyway, I still I don't understand. I think this is probably yeah. poor, uh, poorly expressed. But yeah. oh. anyway, so I'm saying that like yeah. the dialogue that the dialogue that is stylized, artificial. Um, not not there's no not no real verisimilitude to how people talk. Yeah, um, forces you, as you said, to uh, into other perceptions, other puts your attention elsewhere. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like misdirection is the thing that art does that other things are not good at, right? It's the thing, especially the especially the novel, which is so focused on reflecting consciousness and how much of consciousness is uh, is a is a process of tricking yourself. You know, I just I think making art is a process of tricking yourself into thinking what you're doing is worthwhile, um, even though that your conscious mind realizes that everything in life is futile. Anyway. Uh, I feel like <laughs> mind blown. You know something we discovered yesterday at the baseball field? You <laughs> know how me. sometimes you can do like a fist bump and then it explodes? Yeah, yeah. You could also do an exploding thumbs up. You can? Like, like can a thumbs up and then it, it blows up. Whoa! Like yeah, try that sometime. <laughs> can I try it right now? Yeah, let's see Are it. You ready? Yeah, there's a thumbs up. No. And there it blew up, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's for like I agree with you, and you blew my mind. Uh, anyway, Ed, we're we're uh, we're running a little long. Do you got anything? Got any recommendations for eating, reading, or things to do on this uh, today? Sunday? Uh, Oscar and I are going to go to the Oregon Symphony and watch their uh, symphonic performance of Harry Potter while we watch the movie and the Chamber of Secrets. They're they're going to play the the score along with the movie. Going to do the John Williams score, I guess. On their flutes. Is that a, is that a good score? I don't remember the music from those films. I have no idea. It's it's a sweeping, a sweeping, sweeping score. <laughs> yeah, I'm trusting them that it's good, and it's a way to trick trick my son and myself into going to the symphony. We went to the Seattle Symphony a number of times. They had like a nice kids program. Um, this is uh, we don't have quite quite that programming here, but this will. Get us in there. Sure. I think it's good. Yeah. He likes music. I tell you, he picked, he picked up a trombone a few weeks ago. Our bass player and the bluegrass band he has, we were play, practicing at his house, and he has a bunch of instruments around, and Oscar picked up a trombone and played it. Played Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on it. What? He, he's, he's never played the trombone before? No. Played Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. What the hell? With a, with a nice tomber. With a pretty good tomber. Yeah. The fact that he was able to produce a sound in it at all, it was surprising. Yeah. That, that at five, he could figure out the embouchure mm-hmm. to uh, propel the right wavelengths of, of breath through through the uh, the tubing it was surprising. And then he was able to figure out, oh, this note, that note, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. That's impressive. I was, it was shocking. Nobody said anything for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like it like it like you're all in a raymond carver story yeah and then we moved on yeah and then everything changed <laughs> yeah wow well that sounds like fun i'm gonna uh i'll do a little more uh do a little more work um and then uh go get my kids make them some dinner i might mm-hmm. per- i might try to persuade them to go see uh blade runner 2049 <laughs> Which, should uh, be cool. I'm hearing is not bad. Yeah, should be cool. Do you have um, 
beer breweries in your area? Yeah, we have. Um, in fact, I'll I'll put it in the notes. We have a we have a good one, um, Ithaca Ithaca Beer Company, and yeah. they recently uh, recently a couple of years a few years ago moved out of a small space they had um, down on the yeah. down on beyond the commercial strip and uh, built a really big new brewery with a big restaurant in it. Um, and they're, you know, your basic American bistro style food, um, done well, um, with, uh, beers, many beers on tap. And there's a big, big old glass wall behind which the, the the, the tanks reside. Yeah. Um, why do you ask? Uh, we've been, we're in like a little one or two week period here, the beginning of the hops harvest. Mm Mm-hmm. When brewers get fresh hops. <laughs> when brewers get fresh. They get fresh hops and are able to make a beer um, kind of quickly um, that's called fresh hop beer or wet hop beer. Wet hop. Mm-hmm. And I have been um, just absolutely in love with this going around. I've had it at four or five different breweries in town. It's just for a very small window. And I don't know if this is if people where people have... I don't know if this is special to places where a lot of hops are grown. Uh-huh. It might be very cheap for us to do it because I guess it takes like 10 times the amount of hops. It's not hoppier. It's just they're wet. They're like more water content and not usually when brewers use very dry hops. Yeah. Um, it does. It's not super hoppy. It, do, it says here that they're it's delicious. It's just, yeah. They're just fresh, fresh off the vine without processing and, it says these can only be used during the fall immediately following harvest. So, And it's really distinct, and um, I'm not a connoisseur of beer. I'm happy to drink Coors Light. But these are so super good. Yeah? But I, I, I don't know. I go have a, bas- a glass of uh, a fresh hop beer. Maybe I'll go on down there and uh, If they have, if, if they or someone in the area has such a thing. All right. Good advice. Good tip. Good tip. It is a good tip. Uh, glass is enough. I found that like a lot of places here, a glass, a pint's too much. A glass of beer is good. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't, I don't get to just like drink a case of beer anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I, I could, I could do it, but you know, I've got to be on my toes. <laughs> yeah, of you course. Know? You know, especially you know when the kid was even younger, I could. I guess get blitzed, you know. Somebody yeah. was watching, but now you know you gotta. It's different. I gotta well, be on can, my toes all the time. Day drink while he's at school. Could. And I'm not saying I won't. <laughs> but but uh, a nice glass of beer is enough. Yeah, I. Of- I agree. I agree. Yeah. I. T- t- beer is. Uh, I drink it sparingly these days. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Um, excellent. Have yourself podcasting. A- uh, yeah, and uh, have yourself a good uh, Harry Potter <laughs> exploding right. someday to you. Oh, I had one. I had one rec- one book recommendation. Oh, sure. Because uh, this finally came. Um, I've talked about it, but it finally uh, arrived. Oh, this, Bennett uh, Sims book of short stories called White Dialogues. Okay. Which uh, finally arrived at my doorstep. Great. I'm going to. Uh, I've and read I've, about half of it in magazines, although I think some have been revised since then, and the others are new. And it's it's the best, the best horror reading I've 
the best horror writer since Stephen King. Wow. Best horror writer since Stephen King. And I'm saying that I'm not sure I've read a lot of horror since Stephen King. Yeah. Probably because I've tried and, you know, it's not well written and not even that scary. I had that very experience a couple of weeks ago. Couldn't get through a celebrated literary horror novel. Um, But I will read this. Yeah. He's a good writer, Bennett. Very good writer. Yeah. All right. Well, I have to say, Victor Lavelle is also a very good horror writer. Oh, yeah. A lot of good horror writers right now. Yeah, people, good his, writers who are choosing to explore that. And he's getting good, uh, good, uh, good notes, good reviews. Um, Victor's new book. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, my right friend. Uh, have have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. You are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Then we'll give you some lunch Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well then come to lunch Cause it's time for lunch Box with Ben John That's right, it's time for lunch